the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast. Today I have some of my favorite people in the world, and I'll have them introduce themselves and uh, why I think they're so special is because they really did some cool things with uh, my life in the last few months, and uh, we'll maybe share that story too with Ms. John and Lee, but I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and um, we'll go from there. John, you want to go ahead and start? Sure. Uh, my name is John Riddle. I'm the uh, co-owner of Progressive Self-Defense Systems here in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm Lee Garzinski, co-owner of the Progressive Self-Defense Systems. Thank you. Um, we only have the two mics. Next time we'll have the three mics set up, but um, that's what we're sharing here. So, so John, tell me about why uh, the Progressive Self-Defense Systems started and, and what was, how did that all come around? Okay. Um, growing up, I was always in some type of martial art. Um, you know, as a child, uh, I was in Taekwondo and worked my way up through that. Um, as I got older, I started to do a little bit of boxing, kickboxing, and then we I moved into uh, Jeet Kune Do. And what is Jeet Kune Do? Can Jeet Kune Do is, uh, if anybody's ever seen or heard of Bruce Lee, uh, that is his his martial art. Oh, okay. Uh, I've trained under a couple uh, excellent instructors based out of California, and uh, got my full instructorship under Paul Vunak out of uh, Los Angeles, California. And then um, during that period of time, we uh, started to kick around opening up a school. So we originally uh, started to work into uh, the Jeet Kune Do, some kickboxing, and then uh, my my original art was Horong Do, which is, which is a Korean style, which I got a uh, my first degree black belt in. Then... Uh, Krav Maga came in to play. I studied Krav Maga for, for a while. And what is Krav Maga? Um, Krav Maga is an Israeli uh, self-defense system. It's based on the, from the Israeli military. Uh, it's a, it's a battlefield-style uh, combatives that, that uh, the Israeli military uses to this day. It's actually even transferred over to some of our military here in the United States. Um, and now it's filtering throughout the world into the civilian population. So um, it's a very effective self-defense system. So um, I pretty much got involved with Krav Maga. I love it. It's a great time. But what I do here with Krav Maga, I have two schools uh, under my belt of Krav Maga, combatives, and also my background in, in uh, Hwarong Do, in the Korean style karate and uh, kickboxing. I blend them all together. So uh, I have a hybrid, so to speak, style of, of Krav, Krav Maga. Now you are also a, you're a certified, this is your system, you're the grandmaster of, of yes. your system. Yes, yeah, I'm not real big into titles, okay? Grandmaster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not big into titles, but uh, I had uh, been awarded that, that rank um, from I mean, that's a huge honor, and I, I need people to really understand that that's a, it's an amazing accomplishment for someone to do oh, that. Oh, it, it, it's a great honor, um, you know, and I, along with my uh, Black Belt Magazine, uh, 2012 Black Belt Magazine Instructor of the Year and Hall of Fame, uh, both of those uh, awards are a great honor to have. And, uh, you know, it's just it's nice to have it, but uh, it really doesn't change who I am. And if anything, I can tell you you're very personable, and I'd have never known that when, upon meeting you until I read the articles and stuff. It's like 
you know, you just don't know the experts that you're talking to. And so I, it, it's, it's amazing. You're so approachable and so knowledgeable. It's amazing. But well, that, that's, cool. an, that's important for me. Um, you know, I've trained all over the country. I've, I've taught people over in, uh, in Rome, Italy. I've taught in, at the police college, Garda College in Ireland, in Templemore, Ireland. And I, in my personal training, I've been to different areas, different schools, and different arts. And some were great, some were not so, so good, um, only because of the attitudes of the instructors and the students. You learn from that through years of training and, and going through what you do. And when I decided and Lee decided that we were going to open up this place, one of my main things, if anything else, was going to be that when people walk through the door at the school, that they're comfortable when they come in here and they have a comfortable training atmosphere. Now, I'm not, not to say that I'm not going to push you oh, and you make push. you work. I, I, I will attest to that. But, but, you, <laughs> but, you, but you will have a nice atmosphere to train in. And I and I will say, having come here a couple months ago, it's it's been wonderful. I feel like this is my second home, and so I adore these two. So, um, I you've done a very good job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, Lee, what's your part in this? Um, tell us about your fitness background and and what you do because you are amazing. I mean, my husband's even noticed. He's like, "Wow, your arms are really shaping up." I'm like, "It's because of Lee." But tell me more. <laughs> Thank you. I'm the quiet one of the group. Um, I teach the combat fitness which blends with the combat Krav Maga class. Um, it's, we train for longevity. Uh, we train to keep our bodies going, injured free. Um, I got started a couple of years ago. Um, first got started with the self-defense training under John and then got more involved into the fitness program. And I'm also a Krav Maga instructor um, and a Jeet Kune Do instructor and also defensive tactics. A little bit mighty. That's what I'll say. So, Lee, tell us more, too, about your, your style because, honestly, when I come every morning, because I, I train with Lee five days a week and we run seven days. We mm -hmm. run together. Um, she's amazing. Like, I see stuff, and I've been 20-plus years in fitness and done all sorts of different things. I had never seen stuff like you come up with. So you're, you're very thorough, and it's very well thought out. It runs perfectly. So tell me, what is your process when you – plan workouts and things like that because it's it's fabulous i blend it um i like to mix the strength training along with the cardio so you get both um, both are equally important um i have the strength training three times a week and then the cardio for the four times a week we mix it with boxing um we'll do deadlifts um, man makers or woman makers. You totally have to explain what the man makers <laughs> are because I'm a little sore from this morning. Yeah. <laughs> a man maker is like a burpee on steroids um, using dumbbells. Uh, we also run. Um, right now our team is training for the Spartan Reach, with, which is a three-mile obstacle race. In the Miami heat. In, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what has been your favorite part about the fitness stuff and with your students. Can you tell us any success stories and what's going on there? I'm meeting different people. Um, my ages range from 15 all the way up to 71. Um, my latest uh, person, he is 69 years old, and he has lost um, in the last year 44 pounds and is very strong and more energetic, and um, he's just very happy. 
And honestly, I can say over the course of the last two months, I've certainly seen my fitness level improve. And I was a long distance runner, like running 13 miles, not a big deal, but this is such a different a way of approaching the fitness that that's even improved. I mean, so it's been fantastic. So that I say, thank you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. She's so adorable. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. And so, um, with that, so how did this idea come about? How did you guys decide, you know, really should open up a place? Yeah, we, we had thought about how, you know, the biggest thing is how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in law enforcement. Well, I did six years in the military. I was in the air force as a, uh, small arms marksmanship instructor assigned to the marksmanship unit. So I had some background with weapons and shooting, and I love doing that still today. Um, I did six years in the Air Force, and almost two weeks after I was discharged, I became a police officer. Wound up going to the police academy, so I kind of just changed uniforms in my life. And just give us a little background real quick before I know you launch into the story of how this started, about your extensive police history. I mean, what... Yeah, uh, well, 28 years oh, in law enforcement. Uh, you know, I start out just like every other guy or gal that gets into law enforcement. You know, you work the street, you work on a, wearing a uniform, whatever color it may be, and you're out there grinding every day, you know, trying to uh, meet people, uh, take care of people, make sure people are, are okay, and uh, catching some bad guys, you know. Um, that was the best part of my job. I loved in my job, I loved going to work every day. I loved going out and, and being involved, you know, and, and catching bad guys. That was that was what I grew up wanting to do, and now I'm getting paid to do it. And, you know, that thing called SWAT or something like that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I did 16 years on the SWAT team. Uh, I was uh, my first 13 years I was on the entry team, and they're the guys that, uh, you know, blow the doors off the hinges and go in building structures after after bad guys. Um, and then my last three years before uh, I retired from the team, I went over to the sniper team. And I was, I was asked to go over there and help with the training. And I went over there. And at that time, I had the rank of sergeant. So I went over there and I became the team leader, the sniper team leader. Uh, but back on the entry team, which is actually my favorite part, because there's, there's just a lot to do. I'm, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie when it comes to that. So, uh, you know, at, in the early stages, early 80s, we were doing probably four to five high-risk search warrants a night on a Friday night and a Saturday night. So explain what a high-risk uh, search warrant is. Well, we would, we would uh, it was in, in the time in the mid-80s, uh, here in South Florida, it was the, the years the years of the cocaine cowboys. Crack cocaine was coming in pretty heavy into Palm Beach County. Um, there were drug wars, you know, in, in, in all of South Florida. So drug houses were starting to be developed in the cities and in the counties in the area. And uh, we would, our undercover guys would go out and work, make purchases and such of drugs from bad guys. And they would come back with all the in- intelligence, and then they would have to go back and with a search warrant and deliver the search warrant and make arrests. Well, because of the nature of what the drug culture is, it's violent. There's weapons usually involved. So they would bring the SWAT team in to head in first, secure the structure, get everybody secured, and then the drug guys would come in and finish their investigation. So that was the fun part for me in those years, you know, going in, getting getting the bad guys, and and uh, just having a lot of fun doing it. 
you know. And that's why there's different people in the world. Thank you for your uh, service. I appreciate it because there's no way I could have done this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 a lot of fun, you know. Um, and like I said, I'm I'm somewhat of an adrenaline junkie, but uh, and especially in that type of thing. Um, so it's a for me, it was playtime. You know, it was time to put the put the different uniform on, and uh, and get together with real good buddies that we trained with all the time, and we knew what we were doing. We went out there and did the job. Yeah. I know? mean, and that alone, you're, you enjoy who you're working with, and you've practiced, so it's like second nature. In Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's a small, you know, law enforcement is a family. SWAT is a small family within itself, within the family, uh, because we do. We train all the time. We have to be able to understand each other's feelings and, and be able to work together and be able to communicate together without communicating. I mean, you'd almost have to need to know, like, he's going to do this in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we only get to know that through through rigorous training, you know, continuous training. Wow. Okay, so get back to the topic where we were, and thank you for sharing that information. Because I I really want people to understand the amount of knowledge between the two of you and what you've built here is, um, is so impressive. And I really think that you have so much to offer, not only your local community, but nationally and you know and with individuals and we'll get to that in a minute but tell us more about how this all started um you guys were working on each other or the ideas about this six years ago right well with the background from law enforcement Mm -hmm. and the things that i have seen throughout my years of law enforcement of people being victimized um you know good people good people becoming victims of bad guys savages that walk the street that want to want to hurt them um, because I have seen that and I've been working with with that most of my life when it came time for me I knew that one day I was going to I was going to retire but I didn't want it to be the end mm-hmm. I still wanted to kind of keep my hands in it as best I could mm-hmm. uh, so I figured with my knowledge of what I went through in law enforcement and my knowledge of self-defense and the things that come with it um, that you know, I could open up a school and be able to teach people, the civilians, how to be more aware and how to be able to survive encounters if they actually get involved in one, and how to defend themselves and how to protect themselves and how, you know how to protect their families. You know, uh, with Lee, with the with the fitness side of the house. Um, you know, we we both talk about the fitness part of it, and you know, Lee came up with a good saying of you know, with what's going on with the self defense side of the house and the fitness side, people need to be fit in order to be able to fight or to defend themselves. So, we, you know, we thought that was a pretty good deal, and so yeah, fit to fight. I mean, it makes complete sense. Absolutely. So, hence. You know, her, her programs with what she does, and she incorporates a lot of she, some self-defense movements in it, but but it's high level of training of, of cardio and, and strength, which you would need to, to try to control your uh, adrenaline. Absolutely. And a perfect example is the other morning when she had us do those hip thrusts out. You know, those are, those are moves that I've been learning from you in Krav Maga mm-hmm. um, perfectly you know, across that whole mat and back and again and again and again. 
Sure. <laughs> sure. But, you know, it was great. It, it is. It, it's a beautiful blend. So it's it fascinates me. You two just fascinate me. So um, and then what happened? So you guys, you put this in. What's what's been going on since then? Where, so, where yeah. So, go? you know, we decided we were going to open up the school. So we we got a facility and uh, got it all structured out. Mats got all the nice things and pretty things in, in the uh, in the room. And then the day we opened up, I opened up the doors, sat in the side in the chair, and just waited for people to come in. And it was crickets. Right? <laughs> and what had we forgot? <laughs> so, no, well, you know, we, we have a website, um, you know, progressivesofdefensesystems.com. And then eventually word of mouth and, and when people come in and train with us, they start to like it and they start to tell other people. And from there, the, the ball started rolling downhill like a snowball, and it just got bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, every day's a grind. I'm not going to say it's not. You guys have uh, a tough schedule. You know, but it's, it's, uh, it's a fun grind. You know, I, I love doing what I'm doing. She loves doing what she's doing. Mm -hmm. So it makes it even better, Yeah. you know. And we even got to the point where the self-defense came into where I wanted to expand. And uh, started getting into the back into my old area of firearms training. Okay. And uh, we opened up another 2,000 square foot section back here in the warehouse, and we built a house within the house within the warehouse. And if anybody out there has been in law enforcement or the military, uh, they know what a shoot house is, and that's what we have here. And we use that with. Handguns. I use Glock handguns, and it's they're converted handguns that we shoot simunition rounds. The simunition is a marking cartridge. Can you explain what that is exactly? Sure. It, it when you have a handgun in your hand and you're shooting, the the firearm, the handgun cycles. Mm -hmm. When the round goes off, it goes down the barrel, leaves the muzzle, goes down range to the target. In the meantime, the slide. Is coming back on a semi-automatic handgun. It extracts the empty casing out of the chamber, and ejects it, and it loads it again. Okay. So, you know, how can we do this in training without using live rounds? So, That'd hence, yeah, you know, it keeps everybody safe, and everybody has a good day and a life. <laughs> right. So, rewinding back to my law enforcement days. I used to train police officers with another friend of mine um, with simunition rounds. And we would put them through, put the officers through simulation training, put them through real situations in a simulated atmosphere. And instead of having their live guns on them, we would give them simunition guns. And this gave them the ability to be able to do their job as normal in training, but also be able, if they had to engage, with a firearm, they can actually bring that handgun up, shoot it, and if they shot their role-playing bad guy, it would just put a mark on them. Very similar to paintball, yeah. but it's at 350 feet per second coming out of an actual uh, handgun. Can you explain why, I, I think they called it a training scar, why it's important that they actually do the actual movement? I mean, you had mentioned that. Right, we, we want to we train to as, as close to reality as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I like to take people when I'm first building the scenarios, slowly through it, train them, let them make the mistakes, 
then bring them back. Teach them what they did, what their mistakes were. Reteach them and then have them do it again. And it's a repetitious thing. And then as they get it, we start to, to put the, speed it up a little bit. And then we go, we go full, full tilt into it. Now, the training has to be as close to reality as possible. If I, if I tell someone, okay, listen, when you're shooting that handgun, if you have a revolver and you're going to empty out the cylinder, I want you to put those rounds in your pocket. Don't drop them on the floor. Well, you're taking up too much time to do that, okay? You're taking your mind off of the actual situation at hand, and you're getting repetitions in doing that. You're going to do that in the real world. And really, it doesn't matter if your life and death situation, you don't want to be worrying about the cartridges in your Absolutely. pocket, right? Absolutely. I mean, who, who cares where the cartridges fall at that exactly, point? Okay. Exactly. So we, uh, we train to reality as much as possible. I have a good team. Lee is, is one of my team members. I have three other gentlemen that, that I've trained up and sent to simunition school. Lee's been, and the other three guys have been to sim, simunition school, and they know how to run the reality-based training under those, those rules. We run it safe. It's very important that it's run safe and you know, that everybody gets an education out of it. We don't come in back here in the shoot house and just shoot to shoot. Everything has a purpose behind it and a learning experience behind it. I'll tell you, I took your, your, one of your classes, and it was amazing. I actually learned so much. I mean, just – and I was in the military and shot – you know, right. nine mil. And I didn't get, you know, when I was in the military and I would shoot and I would have the gun come back, I hurt myself. So I was afraid of holding it correctly, but it took you like, I don't know, two minutes, 120 seconds to fix my grip and show me how to do it. And now it was super comfortable. And after that, it was like, Oh, right. okay, I got it. Exactly. And it's just, you know, that individual attention that you provide your students, which is absolutely crucial. And then also, can you explain the importance of repetition and continuous practice? You know, it's not something you can learn just one time, but you'll need that repetition to make it. Repetition and continuous practice come hand in hand. And if you want to get good at something, mm -hmm. boxing, BJJ, shooting, you have to go out and you have to practice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get caught in this vicious circle of we go out and we train for a couple hours or a day and then we don't train again for another week or another two weeks everything we do under both these roofs in here is a perishable skill mm -hmm. it's taught it's practiced and then it's up to the students to continue to practice it and to get it locked down at a hundred percent because if you start to let it go away, you're going to forget. You might come back with some type of form of what was taught, but it's not exactly the way it needs to be. Yeah, and I can tell you the importance. I mean, the reason I even got involved with Krav Maga again to begin with was my daughter 17 years ago, and I had shared this story with you. Um, someone tried to take her out of a mall, and um, I, I screamed at him, and he stopped, and, you know, there's a long story with that, but... With that, I needed the confidence to know that I could take my kids somewhere. I had three little ones without being concerned that they're going to be taken from me. And nothing's worse than a mom not feeling like she can take care of her kids because my husband was 
out. Um, he was at the Air Force somewhere else. And so I looked for Krav Maga, and that was really awesome to start. But then I started medical school, and I couldn't do it. But then so I was always searching all these years, looking everywhere we moved for Krav Maga. And then you were my first one in 17 years. And so um, I will say, you know, within a few weeks of being here, I got the mace from you that was on my keychain. And you know the story. He's... John and Lee were the first few people I called to tell what happened. But there was an incident in my parking garage where um, some individuals approached me and were attempting to take my bag uh, with from me. And I literally had the mace with me, and I was using it as John had instructed me to take out of, before I get out of my vehicle, to be ready and aware and situational awareness, which I'll let you address in a minute. Um, but when they came up to me, it's like, you know you need your help for those bags. And I was like, you know, because when I had parked, they, they weren't there. And then I get out of my car, they're there suddenly. Um, and they start approaching me, and I have this mace, and I just got mad. I wasn't scared, but I was prepared. And I think that gave me the confidence to say, no, no, I don't. And I show them this mace, and they stop. And it was enough time for me to get the moment in my head to go, I got to go now. <laughs> so for me, I don't even know what would have happened if I wouldn't have had that mace. And you know, that first few days afterwards, I would get emotional actually talking about not crying, but I certainly was just like, what would have happened if I wouldn't have had that? What if it would happen if I wouldn't have been here? I, I don't even know. And all I know is maybe that's something that now I feel like we need to share that message because I shared this on Facebook and, you know, people were responding like, wow, you know, I need to do that because this happened to me or someone they know. And so I think it's so important, especially women kids, you know, the bullying thing, we, there's so much we can talk about that, but can you talk about like the situational awareness and what you teach with that? Yeah. Uh, and you know, you're, you're saying that I don't know what would have happened if I didn't do this. Right. But you did what you were. I did doing. what you told me to do. Right. <laughs> and you won. I did. You won. You, you, you did it and nothing came of it. Okay, you can't sit back now and wonder what would have happened if I didn't do that. You won that fight. Mm -hmm. So now you just move on. And from now on, you start looking and becoming better. Right. And that's why I go to Krav and I'm with you guys. <laughs> I literally my second home. <laughs> but and it goes back to, you know, today in today's society, we we are so locked into other things when we're out and about. You know, I come back and forth to the gym. Even when I was a police officer, it was amazing. When I was driving to work, going up the interstate, I would pass people in their vehicles, rush hour traffic in the morning. Uh, I watched one guy, he was shaving while he was driving. Another individual was the best one I've ever seen, eating a bowl of oatmeal. The, the between his legs while he was reading the paper at about 75 miles an hour on the interstate. Wow. Okay. So we're today's society is so busy doing other things and we have our face in other things and we're not paying it exactly, you know, the, the cell phones, um, that what I just described to you while you're driving and we're not paying attention to our surroundings. Okay. That gentleman driving the vehicle, eating his bowl of cereal while he's reading the paper at 75 miles an hour, if he looked up and saw brake lights, would he have enough time to stop? Probably not. Okay, So we have to start paying attention to what's going on around us. 
you know, because we're, we're so sucked into this vat of social media and, you know, everything else that's going on around us, we don't see the bigger picture. So all you have to do is what you did, and it was perfect. And you got out of your vehicle, you saw these three guys, you made note of it, you had the pepper spray in your hand, you're ready. You're ready to go. You're ready to rock and roll. So the, this one guy starts walking over to you, and he says something to you, and you raise that pepper spray up, and you answered his question. And, yes, I did. And you see the reaction you got from it, okay? So you won that encounter. Nothing, you know, we don't have to have gunfire and explosions and, and bloody faces to win an encounter. Just what you did, you won that encounter. I, I think I broke, and, and you mention this all the time in class, is that these guys usually don't have a plan B. I disrupted that pattern of where he was headed. His mind was focused, this is where he's headed. But I disrupted that pattern, and he had to take a minute to regroup, which gave me time to get away. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, and it comes down to it to get away. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, how fit? OK, let's go back to the other side of the line. How fit are you if you do have to to, to run from a situation? I okay? am ready to run. Thank you. Lee. <laughs> so it, it's a thing where, you know, you're you were situationally aware. OK, of everything that was going on around you. You're in a parking garage. OK, a parking garage. If you look at ads for self-defense there's a lot of ads are taken where the spooky guy is hiding in the in the parking garage right because this is this, broad daylight too and it's broad and you were at broad daylight but it doesn't matter okay it doesn't matter um you know these guys uh, these people okay um they may have done something like that before and got away with it so they figured you know keep going and they don't have a plan b most of them don't you know, and what I mean by that is he didn't do a secondary challenge to you. He didn't say, you know what, you're not going to spray me with that and come and attack you. He thought about it, and then he started to back away because he does not want attention brought to him. In that, but I also felt, had the confidence knowing that I had that to, to be loud and, like, I think it was such a surprise because when you look at me, you're not going to think – I have the the voice that I could, mm -hmm. and that disruption of that pattern and that surprise on his face, it, it was it was very good. That's so it. and that was enough. And next time it makes gives me even more confidence now and even more looking around. And I've learned it was you know I, I've had so many things happen in my life, but that was such a good experience as to the right way to do it, literally just by listening to you. So again, I, I know I've told you thank you a million times, and again I say thank you. So. Each scenario can be different, but the only thing that can, you can keep in that scenario is your situational awareness. Something as simple as seeing something ahead of you as you're walking and crossing the street or turning around and walking the other way can change the whole dynamics. You know, if people were more aware of, their, you know, of what's going on around them, a lot of the street crimes uh, on innocent people could be cut down. You know, and just what you just discussed. And today, I don't know if people, um, when this, well, I'll put this out tonight. There was a shooting at the Fort Lauderdale airport today. Oh, yeah. And um, five innocent people died. I don't know how many others were injured. I believe up to eight um, total. So 
Now, this happened, my understanding from the limited reports I did see, this happened in the baggage claim area. So you have passengers coming off planes who do, are not armed or have even a pepper spray with me, um, and their baggage waiting for their baggage, and you have you know people coming off the street. So what would someone do in that situation? How do, you, how do we protect ourselves and our loved ones when we're you know, seemingly innocently waiting for our baggage to come? What do we do? Well, look at today's world, okay? Let's go back to that again. And, and not just here in the United States, but look at France. What happened in France? You know, things are happening in, in Europe all over. They're happening here, okay? San Bernardino, Colorado. Right, okay. exactly where I just came from. And, you know, now Fort Lauderdale. Which is the airport that we use. This is it's literally a, 25 a, miles from us. Absolutely. Fort Lauderdale is, I think they said it was like, uh, it's not a small airport. It's a, it's a little bit above a medium-sized airport now. It's a big airport coming in, and, you know, people coming in and out of there. Someone told me it was one of the top 25 busiest airports in the country. Sure. You got people coming in from Central and South America. Okay, then you have people on cruise ships that are going on cruises out of Fort Lauderdale that are flying in from up in the northeast. So you got a lot of traffic coming in and out. Now, when you're traveling, by the time you get to your destination, you're tired, you're exhausted. It, it may not be the greatest trip for you. Okay, so it's let's get the bags, let's drag the kids to the baggage claim, get get the bags, get a taxi get a rental car, and let's get to the hotel so we can get some sleep, get some rest. We're not really thinking about what's going on around us, you know, um, because the airports have security. We have TSA. We have, if you are driving on the grounds of the airports, you have your local uh, law enforcement that are taking the, the outer perimeters of the, of the airport, the roadways and such. Uh, for Fort Lauderdale, it's a Broward Sheriff's Office, okay? But when you're down in baggage claim, okay, there's no security. You have, you have the Broward Sheriff's Office out there. They're monitoring traffic and people stopping to drop passengers off or to pick passengers up. But there, is no, there are no metal detectors when you walk inside the baggage claim area. So if Lee lands from Boston and I pick her up, I can meet her at baggage claim. I can walk in there. Nobody's going nobody's to stop me. And I'm not walking through any type of security checkpoint. Mm -hmm. So with people coming and going, we don't know who they are. Right? We feel a little bit safer up in the concourse at the gate because we security. went through security. Right. But coming and going out of baggage claim, anybody can come and go from there. You know, and I and I went to Uganda earlier this spring, and that was actually that area, I believe in the lobby and baggage claim area, that that bombing occurred. And we missed it. We went through the Brussels airport literally 48 hours before that bomb went off. And I had my babies with me, my family. Um, and so that's even making me more concerned because I was literally, my husband's coming in a few weeks, and we we're going to book him out of Fort Lauderdale. And so, so tell us what should we do then? Well, again, it goes back to, being aware of your surroundings. Um, you know, you're, when you're walking through the concourse, I want you to be walking with in the military and in the SWAT, we call it having our head on a swivel. I'm looking around. I'm not acting paranoid, okay? But I'm walking around in a relaxed state of awareness. 
and I'm just checking everything out as I'm moving, okay? Um, I keep my bags in hand, okay? I don't let anybody take my bags. I don't let anybody hold my bags who have to go into the restroom that I don't know. Now, when I make my way down the baggage claim, going down the escalator or down the elevator, I have to be aware. I have to be aware of everything that's going on around me. I need to see where are the exits. Exits. That's a, that's a great one, too. Yeah. Where are my exits? Okay. Something as simple as that. How am I going to get out of here if something happens? Okay. And it can, we can take that into any part of our life. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the airport. Going out to dinner. Where do you sit in the restaurant? Okay. I was a cop. So now I, I know where I want to sit in the restaurant. I want to be able to see everybody that's in the restaurant if possible. I want to know where that kitchen is because I know there's an exit back in there. I know there's weapons back in there. Okay. If I'm sitting next to a glass window, I tap the window, see what's, see what the glass feels like. Can I throw a chair through it if I have to make an escape route? If something drastically bad happens. Do I have weapons at my disposal in a restaurant? Right. Do I have any type of uh, weapons when I'm out and about? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Improvised weapons. What do I have with me? Right. Okay, So uh, along with that and knowing where your exits are, okay, um, something you could take that when you stay at a hotel. Sure. Check into a hotel, go up to your room. Do you ever check to see where the fire escapes are? I do. Okay. And do you, do you go out of your room? And it, it may seem extreme to some people, but when I go to a hotel and I'm staying there by myself, I find the, where the exit is, the mm -hmm. stairwell, mm -hmm. especially if I'm in a higher floor, mm -hmm. and I'll pace off from my door how many steps it takes to get me to that exit, and to where I can see that orange exit sign. And why is that? Just Because so, if the smoke fills... And I can't see, I'm going to have to get there so I can count off how many steps it takes. Right. That makes complete you know? sense. So it's, it's something that a lot of people don't think of. Well, the reason right. I do is because I was actually in a hotel in D.C. one time and in the middle of the night and the fire alarm went off. So I, ever since then, I was like been paranoid about how high I'm up and where those exits sure. are. So, sure. Yeah. So let's say you're in an airport and you're scanning and you're, well, and that goes back to fitness too, because if you're, you know, traveling long days and stuff, the, the more fit you are, the better care you've taken care of yourself. You're going to have more energy to be, go through those arduous travel. Absolutely. You know, granted it still takes your toll, but it won't be as, as a toll as if someone's really struggling with medical issues and stuff. And even those who are ill can get better. And, and next week when we talk, we'll talk about the nutrition but I really felt like after today what happened that, you know, that situational awareness is really important. So when, when I'm scanning someone, what am I looking for? What, what is that, you know, the, like someone who has the instinct of your, you know, decades of, of experience, what would someone like me be, need to be aware of? Well, it's, that's, that's going to be a call on what is taking place at the time, okay? Today at the airport, it was a very sudden type of an attack, okay? Uh, reports said a woman did see this gentleman, this person, pull a handgun out and start to go to work. Uh, she fled. She got away. But not all the time are we going to see that, okay? So we have to be able to see our exits. Just And, and 
count on, look, if something happens, then I'm going out here and have a plan. Now, you take that same situation and you're approached by someone like you were in the parking lot. And I, I believe I asked you this question. I said, when he was approaching you, did you see his hands? I did see his hands. Okay. So, you know, way back when, when I was first become a police officer, we were always preached to about, you have to see their hands. John, you have to see their hands. Okay. And I tell it today, I talk about it today in class mm -hmm. and to people that I talk about when I'm out and about. And you have to see their hands. Their hands are what can hurt you. What are they holding in their hands? Okay, their words, their mouth, their their cuss words at you, or you know, saying nasty things to you. It may be annoying to some people. It's a shock if they've never been spoken to like that before. But it's still not going to injure you. Their hands can injure you. Are they holding? If I can't see your hands, I'm making space and I'm looking for an exit, and I'm getting away. Okay. If your arms are folded under you and you approach me in a, in, a, in a way where I feel threatened, then I'm making space and I'm looking for an exit to get away. I don't know what you have in your hands. Is there any particular, um, so like the body language, maybe someone alone, um, someone who just looks nervous or fidgety or, you know, just doesn't appear to belong? That type of thing? That, can, that will fall into place also. Someone who doesn't look like they belong. Today they're getting a little bit more Smart savvy. It, yeah. Okay? Um, but sometimes, you know, if you get the real amateurs, they, they'll look very nervous, uh, you know, and, and dress differently maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, South Florida, maybe they're dressed in a heavier coat that looks kind of out of place. Right. That might be the guy you might want to keep an eye on. You know, and see what see what he's up to. Absolutely. So, if you have someone and you're in that unfortunate position, if they do have a gun, where should you do? Should you run? Should you dive? Should you? I mean, what what do you think? Well, you know, today's incident was an active shooter. Okay, and Colorado, Columbine, Colorado was the first active shooter that we. Wow. The first, not the first active shooter we've had those types before mm -hmm. Columbine. But that set precedent on what law enforcement did from that time up to present day. You know, and that's really interesting because um, coming from Colorado, my son goes to Rifle High School. And one of his teachers in his track or his cross-country coach was actually a student during that Columbine. So he was there that day. And um, so twice we've got to tour the school. And he took us through, walk through, because there's a memorial uh, run, cross-country run, um, for the teacher that was killed there. And so we actually walked through Columbine, and he talked us through what exactly happened. Um, he and his brother were there that day, and he was actually in the room with the teacher. And, um, you know, it, it was really interesting to hear his side of it um, and the things that happened and how long it took for them to be able to get out of the building. Absolutely. And, um, and just the confusion and the chaos and not knowing. So, you know, it's unfortunate that now as parents, we have to worry about sending our children to school or to college even. You know, I've got high school and college age kiddos and so, um, or in hospitals. You hear doctors being shot and, you know, it's, 
And I've been in situations in my own office in Colorado where people were upset because they didn't get a particular type of medication and would come upstairs. And I actually had to demand that there would be locks put in place so they couldn't get back there without some type of card or activation and some type of button for the front staff. And so um, we really do need to be aware. I mean, it's the way of the new world. And it's unfortunate, but we can't stick our head in the sand. No. And and there's and that's the the issue that I have. Um, you know, it's just the way of the world now. And we have to understand that. We have to face that and come to terms with it. And everybody out there has to understand that they are their own bodyguard. The police, when you call them, are going to take an, a certain amount of time to get to you. Okay? Things don't stop happening when the police are on their way. They continue to happen. So you have to understand, you have to be your own bodyguard. It starts off with situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Knowing where you are, how can I get out of this situation if I have to? What to look for? Who to look at? Some of these things that we've already discussed. And be able to change your atmosphere by just turning around and walking out. Okay. So, yeah, um, with Columbine, okay, at that time, SWAT, the, the police would set up a perimeter around the, the infected area, and they would get on the phone, and they would call the SWAT commanders and, the SWAT, and give them a brief on what was going on, and then SWAT would re- come out. And that takes time. It takes time. I was on a situation here in West Palm Beach prior to Columbine, and it happened. And it was, we need our guys down here now, you know, because one person was killed, another one was shot, you know, and fighting for his life, and people were being terrorized in this building. The police had the building surrounded, but at that time, that's the way they were trained. Since Columbine, things have changed. You know, I sat on the first, I sat on the first board after the Columbine incident, and it helped with you know, probably 30 other SWAT officers. And we wrote the active shooter response for Palm Beach County and how law enforcement now was going to respond to these active shooter cases. So what's the difference now? Now, law enforcement rolls up. The three of us are law enforcement officers. All three of us are in our own car. We have gear. We're now law enforcement officers are, are have better gear today mm-hmm. to help combat these types of situations. We get to the scene right away. One of us, three of us, takes charge, and we go right into that situation, wow. and we terminate that situation. Right. Okay. We cannot wait anymore for the SWAT team to get there. They're still coming. Right. But we have to go in there. We have to go to the sound of the gunfire if we can get there, and we terminate that that shooter. Right. Now, the tough part about it is because we're first responders, is stepping over kids, especially in a school, right. uh, that may be injured, okay? And we have to go and we have to stop that threat from continually helping or uh, shooting or killing other people. Right. Okay? And that's the hard part of doing what we do in those types of situations. You know, and that's, that's an interesting note. Um, in Rifle, at the hospital where I was at before I... Before in Colorado, I worked there for five and a half years. We actually did active uh, active shooting drills, and so we'd have high school kids that we know. It's a small town; it's like twelve thousand people, and 
it's one high school and these are kids that you've taken care of and you know their parents and their grandparents and their siblings um, but these kids would help they would be the actors and dressed up and so even that even though you know it's fake and they're rolling into your ER it is an emotional roller coaster because you still know that this could happen and seeing them in that position of vulnerability even though it's an act was em emotional evoking I can't event I can't even fathom a real deal so that was your first taste of scenario based training well the okay. military I, okay. I was thrown in but I was taking care of you know different things I was you know rolling things and they sure. smoke bombs yeah. and stuff but it was not those kids you know, it was it was Changes a different a thing. Bit. It's a different thing when you have someone in a uniform and you're 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 triaging, you know, whatever. But when these are civilian kids, they're your children's classmates. Uh, you know, even just you saying you're you're the now the first responder and you're stepping with these kids, I got shivers because it, it it's 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 not easy for any of us to have to do that, but we have to have that mindset to do it. Right. Because what we're focused on is what's going on ahead of us. And we have to terminate that threat because that threat is still active and other kids are being killed. Right. So we have to stop that as fast as we can. Right. You know? But shortly thereafter, coming in behind us is a medical team and right. they're, they're taking care of the kids. Right. You know? um, but it's, it's a thing now where the whole dynamics has changed because of Columbine. You know? uh, and it, it, it's a thing where if it doesn't happen that way, you'll lose more lives. Right. So there's there's no other choice. We right. have to go in that way and do it that way. And, and you know, and it, it's a really um, strange world we're living in right now with, you know, officers uh, literally being attacked just for the fact that they're being, they're officers. And, you know, I, I just never fathomed a world where I would live in that that would be happening in the United States. I mean... I'm sure that's got to be very difficult for you to to even comprehend or understand, or maybe you do. I don't know. No, I, I don't understand. I don't know. I miss my job more now than when this started happening than I did before when I first retired, because a lot of things are happening that I feel that I would love to be involved in, you know. But it's a it's a thing now where yeah, the the it's not only the world, but it's right here in our own backyard. Things right. are changing. Ch right. Things are changing dramatically. Um, you know, and, and people here in this country, you know, we, we always talk about the other countries and, and right. you know, the wars going on. And, and, you know, I have friends of mine that have been over in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I, I listen to other podcasts of guys that have been in, in Afghanistan and Iraq and, you know, their stories. Um, my story is here. Okay. So uh, the things that are happening to police officers today uh, with these attacks, these random attacks, these random killings of police officers for no reason whatsoever, except because they carry a badge and they wear a blue uniform, you know, uh, it's outrageous and needs to be stopped. What would what would be suggestions that we could do to help with that? Is it you know, is it police officers coming into the community and educating them what they do, or I mean, what what is it that we can education do? is fine, and, you know, education is fine, but. The, the types of people that are doing this to law enforcement officers don't really care about education. They're just going to do it anyway. Right. So it's a thing where... Uh, but it's almost like it's a weird acceptance in some parts. I mean, what can we do to, to stem that tide? Well, it, it's a thing where you just have to, you know, we have a thing called back the blue. And it's back up your police officers. Give, right. them, give them backing 
Let them know that you're out there for them, that you care about them, that you want to help them in any way you can. And it's something as simple as, you know, uh, I was just talking to Lee the other day about it, and it's, you know, how many birthdays, holidays, and such that these guys miss in the job. Right. So during, like, Christmas, a family shows up to to the police department and brings food. It kills these guys. They they love it, Aww, you know. So awesome. and that makes their day, you know. Something as, as small as that, and even you want to drop it down even to something else. You see a police officer on the street, wave to him, say hello, you know, because they don't get that a lot. You yeah, know? they're it's, almost just like you do. You just kind of pass them by. Note to self: There's a cop. I don't want to get pulled over. Right. Don't <laughs> don't look at him. Maybe he won't see don't me. Don't see me. You know. <laughs> but no, it. it's it's something as simple as that. You know, it's just you know, hey, how you doing? Yeah, thanks for being there. That's awesome. Something as simple as that, and that's and that's what you just said is the reaction they'll have. That's cool. You know, and, and I'll tell you when I um, when I got back from being deployed and we were in the the airport because um, I was gone for almost five months and I was a basket case coming home. You know, I was in customs and I see my little Jonathan in his cute little face and his glasses peek around the corner where I was headed. And I just, blah, you know. Um, but as we walked out and I see my family, there's a line of people um, just to say thank you at the airport. It's and I've never been more emotional in my life. I get teary just like I can't watch those commercials and that those videos where yeah. those guys are coming home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'll be a blubbering mess. <laughs> I mean, even thinking about it, I'm starting to tear up. Okay. But I've never been so the emotionally evoke that, that evokes is just um, so strong. And I was just. I was so filled with, um, so humbled that someone would think that it, to thank me for going overseas mm-hmm. with the military. And so I assumed that would be even more so here because these guys, this is what they do year. I mean, it's like they're deployed every single day. Every I mean, day. It's like they could die every day. It's not just, oh, those five months you're overseas. Like it's every single day. Absolutely. Like sure. their families don't know if they're coming home that night. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know that it's so comforting to know that I could call the police, but what if those police aren't there? You know, imagine a life, a, a world without that. Um, I, I don't even want to fathom. Again, going back in, into uh, living in the United States, yeah. the United States of America. You know, <laughs> um, you know, we've, Lee and I have been to other countries. You've been oh, I've been to, to war to zones. Many, okay. many places, yeah. We, where do we live now? Now that you've come back from over there, where do yeah. we live now, right? We live in heaven now. This is perfect. Yeah. And we take advantage of that. Right. And it's something that every day, day in and day out, we we just totally look at it as secondary. Right. We take it for granted. Yeah. Take it for granted. Absolutely. Y- you know, I <laughs> Uganda was such a well, and I've been to Ecuador, so I've been to South America and Africa and the Middle East. And of all those places, I mean, I I was always astounded at the lack of um Systems and the lack of uh, order. I mean, maybe the Middle East was a little, a little better where I was, but certainly in Baghdad and Iraq and different things. I mean, nothing like going. You know, I was in. Um, I would fly from where I was with patients to Baghdad Hospital, and then we'd ship them off to um, Germany. And you know, I spent would spend 24 hours um, at the hospital, and we would stay in the in the close to the ER while we were waiting for a room for me to sleep or cot somewhere that they'd throw us in. And having someone come in with their limbs blown off, I mean, we were just sitting there going, 
wow. You know, you just like, how do these guys deal with it? I mean, that is chaos. And we come to you, when I go to Uganda, okay, there are stoplights and, and stop signs. Uh, yeah, they're just there for decoration because nobody looks at them. I mean, there's little uh, boda bodas that come in their little motorcycles with five people on them and swimming in and out of traffic. And we had people cut us off, run us off the road uh, multiple times. And then you go to Ecuador and there's literally armed guards on top of banks and you mean, it's it's insane to me. We don't understand in America. If I could, you know, it's just so frustrating when if you could see not only that, your safety and the civility, but the medical care that, you know, other countries have lack of access to, even socialized medicine um, in Canada and, you know, United Kingdom, there's a waiting list for certain procedures and stuff that in America we take for granted that we can just go in and get. Um, there's so much entitlement in that, in that, in America about that. And so I, I don't know what to be, I mean, I'm certainly think, you know, you know, people are say preaching love. Absolutely. We got to love one another and care for one another, but we do have to, and I agree, we have to say thank you to those, you know, officers in blue and the, the first responders because they've done, they do so much for us. And, um, I hope this podcast will help with that in show you know, the human side of these guys. And they're out there every single day risking their life to save you. This is, I think, honestly, yeah, it takes courage to go in the military and be sent somewhere, but it's even more courage, I think, for those who are home, who literally are there day in and day out, who are there for you, for your neighbors who are fighting and the husband's beating up his wife, or, you know, just the incident in the parking garage, if something would have happened, who was I going to call? I was going to call the police, you know. Um, there's just, I just don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to. And so I think as a nation that needs to be brought forth and we really just need to show the light of, you know, the cop on the other side, their dads, their moms, their husbands and wives and daughters and sons. And Absolutely. They, and you know, it's, it's, I think it's just the way society is today. You know, it's hopefully we'll see a turnaround. Hopefully we'll, it'll, it'll come back around again. Um, but there's, you know, there's things that I've run into, you know, and, and wearing a uniform. And even today, being retired three years, um, people find, you know, know that I was a police officer. I still get that look, you know. I still get that feeling mm -hmm. from somebody else, you know. But it's good, you know, because I know what I did when I was, when I was on. And uh, I'm good with that. And for me, if they get that feeling, that's a guilty conscience because, <laughs> I mean, I could be driving down the highway. Is there such a thing as a guilty conscience anymore? There is for me. Yeah, right? Exactly. I could, we could even talk about raising children and that whole thing. Let me tell you, guilt is a, it's certainly shame and guilt can be used against someone, but guilt, we have it for a reason. It's our, it's our, it's our conscience talking to us, but you know, I'll be driving down the highway and if I see a cop, I could be going the speed limit and I'll slam on the brakes. That is a guilt, that is a guilty conscience. It's like, geez, Lori, um, I'm not going to tell you what I'm driving. So just so you know, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else before we close out, um, that you'd like to speak to us or tell or share? Well, it's a thing where you, everybody has to take a look at the way the world is today okay it's not just happening across the, the pond it's happening in your backyard and if it hasn't hit your backyard yet it's coming yeah. okay so uh, be aware keep your families close and train right. get yourself 
prepared. Again, going back to you are your own bodyguard. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes the police some time to get there. You're going to have to defend yourself and your loved ones until they get there. Right. And that takes time. It takes training. And it takes willpower, okay, commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something very, you know, you walk into the gym, no matter what gym you go to, no matter what you train in, it's day in and day out, mm -hmm. you know, and you have to commit to it. Mm -hmm. And if you commit to it, you get better. Right. So it's, so it's progressiveselfdefensesystems or system.com? Progressive Self Defense Systems with an with S on the end. Dot com. Dot com. And you're in Boca Raton, Florida. And what's the phone number someone can reach you guys? The phone number is area codes 561-262-7840. And you offer classes literally seven days a week doing all sorts of different things. Seven days a week. Fitness, combatives, Krav Maga. Shooting, conceal and carry classes. Conceal carry classes, scenario-based training, anti-home invasion, hostage Amazing. type training. And we're also working together on another kind of a cool thing with combining nutrition, fitness, and self-defense seminar coming That's up February 25th. Oh, it's going to be fabulous. And uh, I'll tell you, the synergy from those three things is going to be amazing. So, And that's what we have to look at. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about it. I know Lee's excited about it, uh, about putting the three yeah. pieces of the puzzle together. And this is kind of Lee's baby. This has been her brainchild. Yes. So. Yeah, yep. you know, she's been, you know, we talked about it off and on for a few years, mm -hmm. you know, about uh, how to how to do something like this. And then when you two got together. This is a God thing. And that big storm happened. Yeah. Uh, it came together. <laughs> Poor John. <laughs> <laughs> Lee and I had already been talking and John showed up. I was like, oh, guess what? <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Um, but again, so at the end of my own every podcast and uh, – I really like to say uh, acknowledge people, and I know I've already acknowledged you guys quite a bit, but for me it's a matter of saying thank you for those who are not here to say thank you and appreciate you for everything that you guys do and so much more that you'll be doing in the future and that you have been and you're you know helping people get fit and protecting people and those, those years that you help protect us. And so I say thank you, and you guys are amazing. Thank you, and we're happy you're here, and we're happy you're on oh, board with us. Thank you. And, uh, I'm just honored to be we, part of it, so it's cool. We are uh, happy to have you. Awesome. Yeah, yep. Thank you for everything. We're really happy you're here. Yeah, and, and Miss Lee, we'll get her talking more next time. <laughs> we, we had to actually pull teeth to get her over here. While she's like, do I have to? I was like, yes, Lee, you have to. <laughs> and she, she coalesced, thank goodness. So, all right. So, um, again, and so thank you guys. And uh, we'll put this up on the website and the podcast. And you guys have a great night. Thanks, guys, again. Thank you. Bye. Bye.